Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 162 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm joined this week by Craig Fitzpatrick. Hello Dave, what's going on? Uh, very mannered, low-key entry into the podcast, as we've had a few of, of late. It's going to be a low-key episode. I'm <laughs> this is already freaking me out. We're sitting opposite each other, which we never do. Never do. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not cool about it. No. It's it's fine. You're always. You seem very cool about it, though. Usually, you've got a you've got a set spot. You've got a set chair. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling very delicate today. We don't have any hammocks, <laughs> as we were promised. It was the last week, the week before. I don't think we were promised anything. This is pretty much. I'm not going to be a bullying Dave today. <laughs> it's a combination of a hangover and just not feeling great, mate. You know. Yeah. Like That's not allowed. Not feeling week. great. Um, kind of do going. I have to raise my abelians? Because no, I think I've got. I think I've got hay fever. No, just be your, just be yourself. <laughs> be my hay fever ridden. As self. Audio Slave once said, <laughs> um, "How was your Easter weekend?" It was relaxing. Yeah, um, meals with extended family. 
um, watching dodgy Kanye feeds. It's everything you could want in um, the weekend to celebrate the weather rising was great. of Christ. The good, good weather. It was, actually. I went for a number of walks. So did I. I hurt my legs, so I wasn't really running, but I was walking quite a lot. I walked around Phoenix Park quite a bit. Yeah, how was that? Really nice, yeah. The weather was, was fantastic. I walked to work one of the days. Um, I listened to Kids See Ghost album twice in a row. Yeah, that's living. That's on, living, on mate. On the walk, um, <laughs> when I was feeling particularly down, as I have been lately. Um. Yeah. I, I like it was. It was a relaxing time. So it was, but a lot of things happened. I guess in the last few days, I saw the Avengers movie. I was going to say, yeah. So it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's all it. centered around Endgame end and game. the end of an era. The <laughs> there end will of... be no more Marvel films. It's been announced. <laughs> <laughs> no, this isn't even the end of Phase Three. Phase Three will close off with Spider Man in July. And there are currently nine untitled <laughs> Marvel movies scheduled for the next um, four years, yeah. three years. I remember seeing like the schedule a couple of years ago, and it just stretched on and on so far. I just thought life is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> so like... I went to the press screening of Avengers on Tuesday morning. I was three minutes late or so because I was on the slowest dub and bus in the world, and I was I hate that thing. Even though it's a press screening. I'm still like, oh, fuck, I gotta go in and I'm gonna be late. And I went in and sure enough, like, it's pitch black. I couldn't see a thing. And at one stage, I was just like clambering around trying to find a seat. And I was convinced <laughs> there was like nothing there. And uh, someone went, Those lights don't work. Somebody was minimal. like, oh, hey man, how's it going? And it was like Hillary White, who's a critic who I know. Oh, a very nice fella. And I clambered in beside him and I watched the movie for three hours and one minute. Well, I guess take three minutes off that because I missed the first three. Uh, if you're a fan of Marvel and Avengers, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to do that. Um, if you're not a fan, we're now going to spoil it. Spoil away, Dave. <laughs> so uh, I will say this, though. Um, I'm going to allude to something. And if you are completely looking to avoid any kind of anything, maybe just skip ahead by about 30 seconds or a minute. Uh, I think it's fair to say that with this film, because it's been sold on the premise of this, I mean, like, there's definitely some emotion involved. Okay. Like, there are some emotional moments in the film. I don't think that's a big spoiler, but we live in a spoiler culture now of pure paranoia. Watch, I'm going to feel things. <laughs> so people go people go crazy at, at, at the, the mildest of suggestions of anything, but I think anyone should know that there are moments in this movie that may, may provoke a reaction, okay? That's sure. all I'm saying. Now, so I'm at a press screening, right? Mm-hmm. And in my row... Uh, there was a particular moment or two of emotion and a woman in the row was convulsing with tears. Sobbing, shaking. Wow. Convo- was, being physically moved by tears is, that's a lot. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, you know? It's a press screening. Yeah. Good God. Get uh, it together. I bumped into Paddy of um, Headstuff fame today at lunch. I was getting a coffee and going back to the office, and he was just coming out of Avengers, and he seemed in great form. He loved it, I yeah. hadn't been crying at all. He said um, that he he felt drained by it, though. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I'll probably catch it this weekend. Oh, you're a fan of this franchise? Um, I'm a fan of the comic books from way back. Uh, I never really... I've enjoyed the movies, but I've never really developed the kind of grow for the big screen adaptations that other people have. Yeah, I find so. that Marvel movies tend to operate on a bit of a three By the way, I just said grow. I know. Like I'm some Gore. I apologise profusely. I mean, like, Mother Folklore were just in <laughs> before you, so it's entirely possible that they've left some Irish magic behind. Oh my That's God. what their podcast is about, right? Irish magic? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. That and the jigs and the rails and other bits and bobs. We're really insulting them and their audience. Offensive, now. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, They're great. Great folk. I'm sure they are. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so 
Rerog is rule the villa is what I'm, is what I'm trying to get at here. So essentially, <laughs> essentially <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should nearly cut this out. No, leave no, it no, 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 no. This is like because I was saying this won't even be a long episode. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. And it's the two of us. I know <laughs> the I know. detours. Anyway, okay. Continue. So look, listen. Yeah. So. I will say this, right? I mean, for me, uh, no Marvel film has ever gone beyond three stars. I, I don't even know if I'd give this one three stars. I found it quite boring in a lot of places. I also found there was way too many gags. Like, it's insane the amount of jokes in this movie. Like, it, it might as well have had a fucking laugh track. However, if you are a fan, I think you'll love it. And I will say this, two or three moments in particular, no spoilers, uh, I thought were excellently done. Yeah, okay. Perfectly realised, great payoffs that you probably need all 20 fucking Comments. one previous movies together. And here's the one thing I will say, and again, this is not a spoiler. Um, for me, the biggest surprise out of all the Marvel movies that I've found, having seen pretty much all of them, uh, is that Captain America, a character who on paper and for years I was like, fuck off. A man who's... Talking about, man. A man whose superpower is American patriotism. <laughs> Whose <laughs> weapon is a shield. I was just like, fuck this guy. Um, I think the Captain America movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as it's known, are easily the high point. I think Chris Evans should be given a lot of awards. A knighthood. <laughs> He's phenomenal, and the character's great, and he plays him perfectly, and I was stunned uh, with each passing film just to to realise how much I actually have affection for the character. I thought the character was perfectly judged and realised. And with regards to Endgame, and again, this is not a spoiler, all I will say is that uh, they did him justice. Okay. His 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 arc I thought was perfectly realized. And <laughs> I haven't seen it now, but it's almost like you're saying, May he rest in me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I did not say that. Yeah, and I I know nothing so. For all look listen, I, like, I'm John all, Snow in this regard. You have you, you have to understand that like uh, okay, fine. Captain America gets get, goes for an ice cream at the end of the film. <laughs> there you go. That's his arc. An arc can be an arc. It doesn't need to be the end of something. Oh god! The film is called Endgame. Okay, <laughs> right? And I, I, I'm not even saying. I was just thinking the other day, like you were t- talking about, like there being some outstanding gags and maybe a bit too many gags so overall. Many gags, yeah. Like uh, Marvel films have just become like the Amazon of cinema where they've just like subsumed every other genre so like there's no actual like blockbuster comedies anymore there's just marvel films that have bits of comedy in there and i also want to clarify there's no way i said the phrase there are outstanding gags in this film (laughs) i said there were too many gags (laughs) sorry and some of them are funny because in fairness if you're throwing out a joke in every fucking scene well then yeah yeah something's gonna stick but overall i thought it was a bit bleh uh has moments etc uh, I thought the Thor character is going to generate some. <laughs> this think. Thor character, I, I think whoever he is, I think what they did with God. Thor in this film will generate some think pieces. Um, <laughs> go see it, I suppose. It's going to make a shit ton of money. Paddy Headstuff, as he's now known, did mention that he went to see it at ten in the morning this morning, and it was quote packed. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's going to make. Am a I going to be able to get in this weekend? You should probably book. I think. All right, maybe, I might yeah. do that. Um, Speaking of film, though, yeah, no popcorn. Our movie spinoff, mm-hmm. movies related to music spinoff. And um, there's another episode. That's right. It dropped already. Came out a few days ago. Episode on Green Room. And go listen to that if you haven't yet. Especially because it's going to be a few weeks before we have another one out. Unfortunately, life and work commitments for both myself and Lord David Higgins. 
mean he's that he's a lord now wow. yeah, he's he been is, doing yeah. really good stuff on that show we're not going to be able to record a new one for a couple of weeks and then it probably won't come out until the week after we are doing Queen of the Damned next Craig um, which I don't believe I've seen that's Aaliyah isn't it Aaliyah yeah. and Stuart Townsend as the vampire Lestat who is now a rock star <laughs> and Korn are in it briefly because Jonathan Davis did the soundtrack new metal sensation oh. soundtrack so lots of reasons there to, to, yeah. to do it. Rockstar has tried to be like handled in a serious way in kind of genre films that are always amazing, I find. No? Yeah. It's, anyway. it's not a great film, as I've already said. So uh, what else is going on? Um, well, Kanye did a thing on Easter Sunday morning at Coachella. Um, you were watching live. I thought it was I had, awful. <laughs> I had family business to attend to. I watched it live, yeah. Yeah, you were kind of... I was getting WhatsApp Two updates. Hours. Um, <laughs> well, it starts with a melodrone just kind of doodling about for about the first 40 minutes and what you're seeing and Kanye is, isn't there it's like a peephole camera yeah. vision of it um, the for footage the, the did look thing. very much like the, you know the hours before Kanye gave them all Kool-Aid and they all oh, died dude. like it was weird the, vintage footage of the, a cult yeah, the, the, <laughs> it was the, like, the Branch Davidian vibe yeah. was out in force we love Kanye West for the most part and <laughs> I think we all wanted to be taken to a spiritual place maybe if you were there you know but I it didn't work even the way the camera work was like the camera work was very annoying and every now and then it would do like a flyover and I felt like you were watching like the masters yeah it was shambolic <laughs> um but I was kind of going into it with re- reservations after those reviews and like so I experienced it in a kind of not expecting much to happen and just having it like on in the you know background as ambience and I actually there was parts of it that were kind of quite beautiful and I think the musicians were really accomplished he just was doing not a lot um, yeah, I guess it was more curation on Yeah behalf. it was kind of curation I just thought it was a mess I, I, I thought it was a mess I thought it was kind of like Expert trolling of A gang of hipsters Who's paid a lot of money Do we think it was trolling? Because obviously no. There was the, the whole merch thing Which is outstanding You could get Jesus Walks socks For $50 You get a, you get a shirt For like $225 for a sweatshirt Yeah yeah <laughs> uh, Really badly put together I mean like uh, I don't I, think the whole thing has been a troll though he seems very much into it like he was crying after that DMX prayer which good to see DMX back I think we all were feet, yeah. right? Chance was there Tiana Taylor was there Cuddy was there are we tired of Chance being I've been, so so righteous I've been tired of Chance for a very long time like I did like I defended uh, Colouring book. book yeah when yourself and Dean Van Wynn were very much it's not a good album anti the I don't know didactic nature of it's it it's not a good album like I thought I thought it's really well produced there's some kind of sunny lovely moments on it but yeah it's just wearing a little thin on me now I adore Kanye I couldn't get into this um, no I don't think he's trolling I think he's having a great time yeah and this was him doing a thing and there's admirable stuff to it, you know. I mean, it's very it was choreographed, and he's invoking a lot of people. And you know, if if people took something from it, if people felt because, like, to be fair, I was expecting the reaction to be universally negative. But I had a brief look at your favorite corner of the internet, <laughs> KanyeToThe.com. Have I lured you in? They seem well. At least from the three or four pages I looked at. Uh, in, in what was like an 800 page thread uh, they seem to be loving it oh shockingly <laughs> <laughs> although I will say there is a like Drake subsection of Kanye today where there's just hardcore Drake fans that hate everything about Kanye right. it's a very very odd situation I watched some of it with my housemate Richard <laughs> uh, previous guest of the show Richard Chambers yes. and he was just sitting there being like because there was half an hour of nothing happening 
Yeah. And Richard was just like, this is awful. Like, what, like, what is happening? Nothing is happening. And eventually, before he left, because he left fairly early on when things started up, when he kind of realized that this wasn't going to be what we wanted it to be, he was just left the room saying, washed. He's, <laughs> wa- he's washed. <laughs> but the, the thing was, it wasn't really a show. Like, no. it was a Sunday. It was literally like... A sermon a on the mount. It was a sermon on the mount. <laughs> yeah, it was like the fucking Sunday at a festival. Like a bunch of good musicians were booked just to kind of keep the party going before like the proper act started. It was that vibe, really, wasn't it? I guess. Um, I don't know. Jesus Walks was quite good. Apparently, some like fifty percent of everyone that went to Coachella went to see it, which is incredible. That's cool. Yeah. So you still got it. Maybe at I least just, in terms of appeal, I guess. I mean, I think it's because I saw those. Twitter clips doing the rounds of him previously playing where it looked like yeah really energetic incendiary he's got his mojo back it's clicking. and it was really loud and boisterous yeah and he was leading it yeah. and he was playing a keyboard and like the whole thing felt anthemic and big and this wasn't that at all this mm. was very low key very droney literally like you know it felt and even the way the way it was shot was kind of like kind of giving me a bit of a headache just you know. I'm, I think for some people it was probably an avant-garde masterpiece yeah. as a lot of Kanye stuff can be and I'm usually on the side of absolutely yeah he, he's working it out but I fear man I fear he's washed ah no I definitely don't think so I mean Kitsy Ghost is the one thing at least in terms of him being actively involved Pusha T's production as well well yeah no no um, but, but the Tiana Taylor yeah no 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 I mean like, what I mean is like just him, him as a co- co-front front man at least center, yeah yeah because yeah. I think Ye how often have you gone back to Ye um, very few times bar two or three chat tracks I don't go back to it at all same think, yeah. yeah totally so I just think although that's nearly half the album <laughs> <laughs> whatever he releases next has to be really fucking great and I just I don't know I like I, I, I'll say this I really like his hair yeah yeah he was looking well he's got um, like purple hair now yeah look great I was getting good vibes from the whole thing yeah uh, he, even like, the merch okay um, what else happened uh, Game of Thrones of course yeah oh yeah. yeah we probably can't talk about that either can we because just nah. people won't have seen it no. Um, I very much enjoyed the last episode just for we've had this discussion where I'm just being like okay we're getting a limited amount of this kind of now trashy TV <laughs> I, although you said now trashy really I not still, the last uh, yeah. four years I still come back years. to the, the Stuart Lee line of Peter Stringfell as Lord of the Rings <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is so good very good no it was a good episode yeah uh, it was this is th- this is a music podcast um, yes it is on and the show this week a musician <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll be talking to Soak yeah her album her second album Grim Town is out now as of this podcast being out I've had the pleasure of listening to it for a few weeks already because you know I'm a cool music journalist uh, I spoke to Brody a few weeks ago <laughs> we had a chat you'll hear that later in the show and the album is really fucking good so other stuff that happened this week Craig you got into a scrap on social media which is very very unlike you uh, first time ever I think <laughs> my sister contacted me yesterday being like these idiots on Twitter not you everyone that was like going at you or just yeah. talking about the whole situation can you someone we're up? talking yeah of course, about Lizzo's comments um, about, I believe it was her Pitchfork review, um, which was kind of negative. She's been getting nigh on universal praise elsewhere, um, but she didn't kind of take well to this. She just tweeted out uh, over the weekend. It was Sunday, was it Monday? Easter Monday. Easter Monday. In pe- block capitals. Yeah, people who review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people took a did not like that. Yeah. Um, and the word review was in, in inverted commas as well, which yes, was excellent. Was. Um, 
I was kind of heartened by how much umbrage just generally people took. Yeah, at the same time, <laughs> I, I think someone made the point that we don't know what kind of abuse Lizzo is getting directly and her mentions and stuff, which is oh, probably that's the point true. I hadn't thought about. Yeah, and there definitely would have been that for sure. And nobody, I, I would never encourage like let's kill this person because I, you know, we've previously spoken very highly of Lizzo. Yeah, but. This, I've listened to the album. I won't I, be reviewing it. I didn't listen to the album deliberately off the back of this tweet. That was my silent protest. That's fair. Like um, flat out because well, I, we won't uh, be reviewing it. But um, yeah, we're not reviewing it. We're, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, I should also mention it on the show this week. We're actually going to jump a week ahead. Uh, Vampire Weekend album excited. comes yeah. out. The on, big one in out, every sense of the word. It comes out on the third of May. But we're reviewing it today. Yeah. So yeah, Father of the Bride. That's coming later. We were going to do Liz's album. And then we decided to do this instead. But it wasn't because... We kind of chose Vampire Weekend before any of this happened. Yes, However, yeah, true. Um, I was kind of just... I was just soured by it. I wasn't like, well, fuck you. I'm going to burn my Lizzo CD. I was just like, I'm not going to listen to it because I don't really want to now. Like, you've, you've, you've put me off it. Because I feel like... A, dude, I feel like a broken record here. Because it goes back to like the thing we were talking about the Fontaines recently. And I've definitely said this before a million times. And you know, it, it, it could be very inside baseball and boring. But... There just feels to be lately this climate of, you know, fuck music critics and people who review things, whether it's Avengers and trying to avoid spoilers or even mentioning things that aren't spoilers and then getting killed for it. And people who want the Rotten Tomato score to be 100% or whether it's in the world of music. Even Ariana Grande had a fucking tweet that she deleted, uh, I think it was now a couple of nights ago, where she said something to the effect of... Um, hang on, I better, like, I better go find it, Craig. Yeah, sure. Well, I, Actually, no, I'm not going to go find it. I'm going to paraphrase. She basically just kind of said something like... Um, if only like blogs would go away and people would like get a real job. Oh or yeah, and you're yeah. just like, well, like you're not helping. But, Realize like, that they're like not contributing or and move yeah, on. Yeah, and like th- this isn't new. And I think obviously social media is a big thing about this. Everyone's got a voice now. Everyone's a critic. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like when the enemy came out back in the 70s and the musicians saw their reviews, they were like in the pub being like, "Fuck these guys!" But they just couldn't immediately send it out to all of their followers. Yeah, Dean Van Noon <laughs> made the point that you know artists love critics when they're getting good reviews and hate them when they're getting yeah. bad ones, and that's fine. And like, here's the thing: you absolutely have the right to rail against a bad review if you think it's badly written or personal or whatever, or it just pissed you off. Lizzo has every right to say what she said. She reneged on it pretty quickly because people yeah. were coming at her. And then I, I thought her kind of, I thought her backtracking was kind of comical because in the end she was like, "Come to the studio, yeah, let's hang out with me. Let's I, understand I, each I other. I want to know how your world works." <laughs> yeah. And like, cue everyone being like, "I'm a music reviewer." <laughs> yeah, I'm, Dahi was like, "You should sign up, Dave." And I said, "No, I'm not going to," um, because she seems like a dickhead. I mean, at the same time, you know, maybe she's cool. And I, yeah, I, I, like, I, I don't want. I would never encourage the bullying of Lizzo. But okay, what this led to was, uh, am I hypocritical for saying that? Given what it led to, what it led to was, I was working on the piece for Joe about criticism about. Avengers and about Lizzo and then uh, two people on WhatsApp sent me a screenshot of a tweet made by the RTE2FM social media account on Twitter right so the national broadcaster one of the biggest radio stations in the country RTE2FM uh, whoever runs their social channels I believe it's Owen McDermott no it's not no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I have it on good authority that this person is, is in fact a picture they're a super fan um, you know so essentially <laughs> you know <laughs> if you know you know you know, you know. <laughs> so effectively this person quote tweeted the Lizzo tweet and in block capitals said this yeah now Craig what does this mean <laughs> in the parlance of that. Well, I, I kind of was making the point that maybe they have no clue that this is usually like an emphatic endorsement of a thing <laughs> and they just thought, like, would you get a look at this? Like, <laughs> maybe they forgot to put in, this is a terrible take, <laughs> How can you say that? So, 
it was really surreal to see that happen. <laughs> a uh, media, oh yeah, a, a media, media organization that ha- employs critics. Yeah, <laughs> saying <laughs> and you know musical people that aren't musicians and just generally. So I did what I always do, and I screenshotted it, and I put out a tweet of my own, and I said, "What the actual fuck are you doing?" <laughs> to my surprise. The tweet blew up quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if my sister's like, look at what's going on. <laughs> and then um, some people came along and were like, giving out to me for this. Most people were kind of supporting it. The 2FM tweet was deleted because I wasn't the only one. You know, Nala Nine, Andrea Cleary, various others were also hopping on this. And the tweet was deleted fairly sharpish. However, there was a hilarious moment where the RT2FM Twitter account, which doesn't even follow me, replied to me. Yeah. And said doesn't mean we agree with it <laughs> never, no, never said we agreed with it yeah i think it was at that point i was like so maybe they really didn't understand what this means so that tweet got deleted as well um and but here's the thing right i mean i was talking about this last night to former guest host of this show michael fry and i was making the point that like i'm not really one for the public call out and ultimately i don't want whoever that was running the, the the account to feel bad. Like that might sound weird, but I don't. I don't want them to have a shit day and, you know, be like whatever. But it's it's very irresponsible, I think, of that account to do that. And it's obviously a bit of a storm in a teacup. It's funny that more than anything else, I think, because it was just like this is dumb. And in the midst of this, some fucking sewer rat who I won't name uh came along Oh, yeah. And said to me, like, um, you know, well, basically quoted my own words kind of back at me and was like... this was the thing my sister was particularly outraged And what they did was they took an article that ran on Joe.ie. I write for Joe.ie, as we all know. And they they said, what about this? And it was like, obviously, a fairly, like, you know, I think it was like... Reasons are signs you should quit your job. Nine reasons you should walk out in your job or something. And this person was trying to be like, this is the same thing. Now, it clearly isn't. No. Even before you get to the fact that I'm not responsible for something that the website wrote three years ago when I wasn't working there. One. Two. You should have vetted all of their content day before you signed I'm up. I'm not accountable for every editorial decision that gets made. Like, this brings me right back to when I worked for, like, ExtraVision or something. And just because I have the fucking corporate logo on my thing, it doesn't mean that I am I can make changes at the top or bottom of this industry. Like some perspective please so this person's making a fool out of themselves and then tried to like stir it up and said oh tip like hilarious like joe is taking the moral high ground here and i wrote back and i said my name is dave and i think it's the best comeback i'll ever have and what's really annoying is this fucking pond dave we speak your name this this uh as oprah would say this fucking this, we speak your this name. fucking this fucking pond scum motherfucker right he deleted that tweet because my one was like, my comeback was like, you know, I guess yeah, yeah, getting yeah. some numbers or shit. And I'm like, you motherfucking coward. Dude's a professional troll. Yeah, he is. Didn't yeah. engage like beyond that. Trolling on other stuff probably. That's like, what he does for like, yeah, literally does it for a living. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know who you are, you fucking cunt. So essentially, right. Um, here's the thing, like with the Lizzo thing, with the 2FM thing, with everything. I just think that, because of course I would, I am a critic, and I'm aware now that I've probably already talked too much about this and it might be a bit boring, but I just think that, like, this war on critics, there's no one's going to win. Like, it's, criticism is a good thing. Good criticism criticism is a good thing. It is, I think, the social media thing of, it's like the opposite version of contrarianism, where it's people looking for their moment to say, to rage against something. And in this case, it is 
like criticism. So it's okay. I'm appalled by this. I'm appalled that it, there isn't a kind of you know full support for this band that are local. Or I'm appalled. It's just more of that, isn't it? It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. We've, like we've seen it in recent times, and I just feel again, unless you like get it totally wrong and you cross a terrible line, or you're just factually incorrect and your review doesn't stand up, because like the Pitchfork review of the Lizzo album is a well written review. Like you know, it's like it's it's okay. Like some someone put a lot of work in. Yeah. A lot of critics put a lot of work in. You can see the ones who don't. Yeah. It's like musicians or anybody. You can see the ones who don't. Um, and also, I guess the laser thing as well. She was also making the point that it's the, the, the dumbest argument ever. Like we've gone over it a million times. But as I said in that piece I wrote, I don't need step in the fucking ring with Canelo Alvarez for twelve rounds. No, the That's guy really can awesome. fucking hit hard. You know how many football pundits played the game. Yeah, like uh, well, it, all of the best football writers are people who didn't play the game. Yeah, and like no surprise, but, it's, but it's, dude, it's a discipline, it's a craft. <laughs> you know, like you get better as you go by by interacting with the art. Like if anything, critics actually actively yeah. engage with a thing, whether it's music, whether it's film, or whatever it is. It, in a slightly more objective way, there's not the complications of... You listen to it differently, you watch it differently, you re-watch it, you listen to it a million times, you try and find like like, like, like the, the things other people haven't found. And, and if you love it, then you want your thing to be as good as it. And if you think it's fucking awful, then yeah, you're going to give it a kick in, but hopefully you're going to give it a kick in that, can be, that you can stand up and say, yeah, this is fair. Yeah, our friend um, Carlo uh, Maliocco was tweeting last night and he was saying that, listen, lay off music journalists. They're people that have chosen to do this because they love music that much, which is pretty much the root of most music journalism. People aren't doing it for the cash money. Yeah. You know, it's like... <laughs> and That's the thing. Even like, you know, like saying, like Lizzo being like, people who do this should be unemployed there was a hilarious someone quote to you that and said like most of them actually are yeah (laughs) for a lot of people it's voluntary we should point out at this stage that in protest to the Lizzo thing um, working musician who reviews music Dahi Odroni has been removed from the podcast yeah indefinitely to be fair Um, because (laughs) I felt that that was the only due course of action especially when he said she's got a point lads yeah 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 Yeah. he tried to stage a coup essentially and that's why he's not on the show this week um but if he's looking for work, he could <laughs> he, he could always become, become David, David, David Byrne's social, social media manager. manager. That's right. Uh, avant-garde hero David Byrne himself is looking for a social media manager for projects that include music, theatre, and on online solutions-oriented journalism publication. <laughs> it's a full-time position based in New York City, and the ad reads... <laughs> Big Apple! <laughs> the ad is quite detailed, but I'll tell you this, if you want, <laughs> if you want a, an interest in the arts, is definitely a plus, as well as a journalistic mindset. The ideal candidate, Craig... Yeah, I'm, I might apply, go on. <laughs> ...will demonstrate experience in building and cultivating a social media following, starting from a small baseline and expanding that following quickly and steadily. Be able to design a sophisticated social media strategy that will generate sustainable short and long-term growth with an eye toward attracting followers that might not otherwise know about our work. Yeah. Be able to switch tone and content to suit different projects. Projects range from music and theatre to journalistic endeavours. You should be able to create social media channels appropriate to the mission and audience of each project. Be adept at acquiring imagery. Have strong writing skills. Know the rules of grammar. Know how to analyse traffic statistics. Be enthusiastic about working closely with a creative team. And have a minimum of two to three years experience working in social media management, ideally in the realms, realms of journalism, the arts, or both. So whoever runs the 2FM social media Twitter account need not apply. I mean, I was a bit disappointed by how bog standard this is for yeah. David Byrne. I thought it was going to be... Yeah. Inject I, a bit of character into yeah, it. It's like, really, I'm sure he didn't write it, but... It's really straightforward. Like, it, Well, it's really detailed, um, except when it comes to remuneration. Um, so I'm guessing it's really well paid. I don't know. But um, 
It might be an interesting one. I'm sure the subject matter would be fascinating. And getting to work with David, of course, would be a thrill. I'm sure the David Byrne account will now just start posting like GIFs and, you know, dog photographs. Yeah, yeah. what if they just get someone who has no clue of the fucking David Byrne vibe or aesthetic whatsoever. And it's just like, yeah, every shit. And then it turns into like engagement bait where it's, it's you know... Hey, uh, what was the first gig you ever went to, everybody? And then it's like, look at all those numbers. Oh, we can only hope. Um, do you know what they could do? Who's watching Game of Thrones? <laughs> do you know what they could do for hot content? They could have a big, massive Easter hunt. Easter's over, though. <sighs> Next year, Dave, when they're into position. I'm segueing, of course, into the big news that Halsey hid thousands of dollars in Easter eggs um, and then alerted everyone to the fact on Instagram didn't invite them over um, to her private gathering where she'd done this. Um, but yeah, she was throwing an Easter party. Um, as part of the celebrations, she basically just put loads of cash all over a gaff and was like, go find it, my pretties. Go, go, go. Celebrities, man. I know. I don't get it. I know. Um, she said everyone was acting brand new, so they were very excited. The peasants. What was the <laughs> What was the most exciting and extravagant thing you did on Easter? Um, it was probably the Kanye thing. I don't know. It was probably just watching that, lounging about. I went to a local pub with Dahi and a friend of the show, Alex from Pale Rivers, who played in Dahi's band over the weekend when Dahi played at the Red Bull Yoke. Oh, very good. And uh, we went down and we were sitting down and within about three seconds someone yelled over like (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) a ghost sorry yeah um and then when i went to to the bar uh with alex um i knew what would happen and i came back and i said did one of those lads come over to you and i said yeah he was recognized man in the wild wow um it's happened a few times but um and he loves it so, so please pester him, folks. He's a huge fan of that. He he especially likes taking selfies with people where best he can. So there's a Graham Britney Spears story doing the rounds that apparently she's being held against her will. Yeah, I mean, I kind of find it interesting just everything around it. Um, obviously, um, you know, Britney Spears has had mental health struggles over the years. Um, seems like a great person, kind of always wish her well. She's been through the wars. But there's this interesting thing where... For over 10 years, she's been under kind of um, like a, a protectorate act where she essentially can't make any decisions, be they personal or financial, without her father and some kind of independent attorney um, agreeing to them, um, which has led into these weird... Fa- We're back to kind of standum, I guess. This conspiracy, uh, which led to a kind of hashtag free Britney thing, that she was being held um, in a home kind of against her will. Um, her decisions aren't her own. Um, she had to come out and say that, no, no, she's just um, been through the mill with some family stuff and she's taking kind of much needed breather um, and she's absolutely fine. But I just thought it was weird, this thing where she said also, you know, stop with the death threats to my family, folks. Um, so another kind of instance of fandom and standum running amok. Well, there's a photograph of her emerging from some hotel or something. And yeah. she looks quite disheveled and distressed and all the kind of the fan accounts are saying stuff like everyone knows that Britney Spears never comes out the front door. She always comes out the side door. Yeah. This is Illuminati confirmed or something. Uh, I don't know. I find that with this, you know, because uh, it originated, I think, on a podcast or something. Um, it did. Yeah. I mean, I just like I, how much weight can you put into it? Like, I don't know. Like, there's some quotes in this article um, that we music have. podcast, Craig, am I right? <laughs> It always goes back to that, doesn't it? Do you remember the um, missing um, Richard Simmons one? Oh, yeah. Oh, did you ever listen to that? No, it was good. 
Uh, I did. I did not listen to it, but that was like an absolute phenomenon. And it's it also sounded kind of like grim and exploitative. No? It totally did. There was kind of I remember at the time New York Times write up saying this is massively exploitative. Um, it's prying into his personal life. And essentially, the, the gist of it was that he hadn't been in the public eye for a number of years. And uh, the premise of the podcast was an attempt to find him, find out what he was up to, get him out of hiding. Um, and I think it turned out he was just retired, keeping low probably. profile, retired. Uh, he probably had some, I think he had some health issues. Are we going to do that now? Like missing Joe Pesci? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It always comes back to a podcast now. It does. Speaking of, this is a podcast. Uh, and <laughs> we'll continue the podcast by talking about uh, Ariana Grande and Jim Carrey, Friends for Life. Yeah, they had a nice moment. Uh, they met in person a good few years ago, but um, they've been doing the social media thing. Um, Jim Carrey's responded to Ariana uh, after Singer opened up about her struggles with depression uh, by using a quote from the actor. Um she used a carry quote on one of her Instagram stories. Just She was kind of sharing a series of photos. Uh, quote being, depression is your body saying, I don't want to be this character anymore. I don't want to hold up this avatar that you've created in the world. It's too much for me. Um, so you should think of the word depressed as deep rest. Your body needs to be depressed, needs deep rest from the character that you've been trying to play. I'm not really down with the, you know, avant-garde, kooky Jim Carrey, you know, whatever the fuck. Really? I was going to ask. Because it's, it's I think he's well-intentioned. No, I think no, he's it's, a, like, like it's, it's a nice moment. Uh, but I just find that Jim Carrey's profile in recent years hasn't really been one that I would warm to. Uh, yeah. Not, like, it was, I watched, um, I, I can see what you're saying. He kind of, it seemed like he was turning into like a, a, an American Russell brand where he was like acting enlightened like comedian enlightened to the point of just saying you know it's all just a hologram don't you but we need just peace and love um but i watched that jim and andy documentary netflix thing on um, man the moon where he uh, basically went extremely method when he was portraying andy kaufman and also andy kaufman's various kind of personas and it was just he got so deep into it yeah and he was so committed i kind of gained but a newfound respect for him like as an artist but also just him as a guy obviously has a lot going on in his head at any given moment. He's a man kind of extremes why he's done such great work. And yeah, he clearly struggles with a lot. Um, I haven't seen that documentary, but I have it's seen... very well put together. I have seen Timothy Oliphant guest on the Conan talk show, which he does quite regularly because right. those, those two are boys. And he was asked about it and he said, uh, he, goes, he goes, he said that he went, he method watched it. So he said, uh, he goes, I didn't watch it. My character watched it. And they're like, oh, like, what do you think of it? And he goes, well, my character hated it. Like, so I was like, I thought that was enjoyable shade from Timothy Oliphant, who, uh, happy to admit, listener, I'm, I've got a crush on Timothy Oliphant. You know? <laughs> That's allowed. He's a very, ha- very handsome man. Him or his avatar, though, Dave, you have to pick. Oh, um, uh, the Sepultura have been banned from... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the answer was to that. Sepultura. Remember them? Hey, kids, remember Sepultura? Roots, bloody roots, am I right? Oh, yeah, that's it. Sepultura have been banned from Lebanon for being devil worshippers. Brazilian heavy metal veterans, Sepultura, have reportedly been banned from the Lebanon. Is it the Lebanon? No, Lebanon. People have said the Lebanon. Yeah, like well, I think Ukraine. it's like the, the Congo or the Ukraine. Oh, or Jesus, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's not... It's not the way you should be said. The England. Uh, anyway, they've been accused of devil worship, uh, which caused a planned gig in Beirut to be pulled. According to a statement by Lebanese promoters Skull Session, the band were denied visas by the country's... By the way, I love how they're called Skull Session, but the quotes are so well put together oh, and just great. like sensible... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Skull so Session, uh, the, the country's general security took their visas and Skull Session said, and I quote, they were as outraged and angry as all of you will be. 
It's so ominous. Expanding on their statement to the New Arab, you know, my favourite newspaper from the Middle East, Skull Session said that they had been given information about a supposed ban order by officers who had seen the document. Basically, what we learned is that they are considered devil worshippers, that they have disrespected Christianity, and that they have performed in Israel, all of which are, of course, not true, said Skull Session. Yeah, I think that last point is probably what it comes down to, just issues over whether or not they have performed in Israel, um, because they're kind of enemy states and have been for a long time. Um, and tr- yeah, travellers with Israeli stamps in their passports are banned from entering Lebanon currently. But according to Skull Session, uh, the band have never played there. There's a, a Lebanese metal musician I uh, was quoted and yeah. said, a very like p- politician answer here, in, in terms of just like the rousingness of this. He said, this begs the question, are the censorship overlords in Lebanon deliberately working to make Beirut the least touristic destination in the region <laughs> and are actively helping Dubai to be the centre of culture and arts in the Middle East? He mused. <laughs> yeah, they really need those big draws like Sepultura. Um <laughs> Do we reckon they're devil worshippers? No. I think I did like uh, the Hot Press quickie feature with Derek Green from oh, the band no about you? seven years ago. And he was a very, very nice man. Did you ask him about devil worship? No. Like, but some of those questions could have like been gateways into like just you know what's most of my heart it's the same I mean, thing you've ever maybe they are but like, to me like is devil worship like it's such a thing of the past and as much as like if, like you well, could, like, actual devil it's the whole thing of being a satanist it's not actually about it's a way Satan, of life man. man it's about you know pleasure and freedom from the rules of blah 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 I don't know like I don't think there's anybody around that I would know who's like actually practicing the yeah. black arts or witchcraft but I mean if you're into the devil like I'm not gonna stop you it's pretty as long as you're not hurting pretty anyone, metal just don't hurt anybody <laughs> yes and what Whatever you do, make sure that when you're choosing an internet password, you don't pick a band name. Maybe Sepultura would be a good one. It probably would, yeah. yeah. Um, ones that are not so good, Blink-182, um, which is probably a good one for getting around that whole, you've got to have any merits in it. Uh, Foo Fighters and Metallica. Um, so I guess this is just a lot of IT managers that used to be fans of all these bands. Probably, um, yeah. Yeah, so music fans have been warned to stay vigilant after it emerged that these bands have inspired some of the world's most commonly hacked passwords. All three bands featured in the Global Password Risk List. Uh, other notable names include Green Day, Slipknot, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Sum 41, again, there we go, and Iron Maiden. But I feel like, okay, like, have you ever had a password that was related to a pop culture thing? Yes. Right. But was it the name of the thing or was it like, say, a song title or something? No, it's usually more detailed than that or it's a kind of a play on something. I'm very proud of, like, you have to have so many different passwords at this point. I'm very, very proud of some of mine. They're quite clever. I would almost compromise my internet safety and possibly my persona um, to let people know what they are. But I cannot believe that. This is who you are now. I'm very <laughs> proud of some of my passwords. They're quite I'm clever. 30-year-old man. Fucking <laughs> hell. In advertising. <laughs> I have a handful of passwords. So, so, like, I kind of, like... You hook me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you kind of, like, uh, I go through the motions and some of them where I'm like, oh, no, it's that one. I think I probably got about five or six or seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think any of them are particularly any good, but... You know, but they they recommend you use three words that bear no relation whatsoever to each other. Right. So, okay. I don't like. I I know little about hacking, but I guess it comes down to. Any- <laughs> but I know what I like. <laughs> Do you know what I, I suppose if they're just cur- cur- constantly going through phrases that are commonly used on the internet, yeah, of course they're going to find a band before they find just some random assortment. I have of a words. couple of questions for you. Go ahead. Has this been a really boring episode so far? I think it's been quite strong, actually. I okay. would say the best in maybe two years. <laughs> right. I, I, I hope I, neither of those that are, might be the hay fever. Are, are correct. We'll liven it up, though, before we do. Uh, Craig, it. what are your memories of the library bar, and how would you describe it? 
Great spot for an interview. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, low key, um, good for recording. Um, usually quite quiet. Yeah. Many leather bound books. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, and a decent point. I interviewed Ian Watkins from Lost Profits in the library bar. Yeah, I haven't been there since you told me that. <laughs> six six months before you went down. Uh, I'll never forget that day. Oh my that God. was the same day I interviewed Jack Gleason from Game of Thrones. Was it? Joffrey was himself. It, was it all in the library bar? Yeah, I came back to the office in Hot Press, like, and then Jack Gleason was at reception, but he was dressed up because he was like doing his play stuff. So he was dressed up like a fucking Peter Pan or something, <laughs> kicking his heels down at reception. Joffrey, the most hated villain in television at the time. And then we went over it and he was in the library bar. And that was when he said the infamous thing of like, at one stage I asked him, yeah, what music? I asked him what kind of music he was into, and he was really stunned to learn that or to, that I would want to know what kind of music he was into, because um, I assume all he did interview wise, if he did any of them, was just Joffrey and nothing yeah, else. Yeah. And he said that he he like he really likes trad music. Uh, he was he goes to like trad sessions and yeah, stuff and the cobblestone and, and stuff, yeah. and like he's he's good friends with Little Green Cars, um, and he kind of trailed off, and he said, you know, the popular music of the time. And I thought it was the cutest fucking thing. Like a young oh. Michael D. Higgins was sitting in front of me. Oh, what like, a terrific actor. He's totally bowed out now, hasn't he? He's yeah. Got, he went into, was he studying philosophy or something like that? Oh, he's or like a scholar psychology. now or something. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. He, like he's he's totally... Serious, serious man. By all accounts, he's a lovely fella and he was lovely that day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two little but notes. Ian Watkins. Um, Ian Watkins was not. Serious man in a different way. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> like what? <laughs> a man to be taken seriously as a risk to everyone around him. Well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Well saved. Somehow this is segueing into the Soak interview. So um, the reason I mentioned the library bar, this is a terrible It's because episode. you did the interview there. In the library bar, yeah. I did the, I interviewed Soak in the library bar. And the reason I have to mention it as, as a thing is because um, I went in and there was another journalist sitting like right next to us. Yeah, that that was an issue with that as a venue where it's a bit pokey. And there was and also yeah. uh, her Pior, who's a lovely gentleman. Who, mm-hmm. uh, like no disrespect to nobody, but you're like people were just sitting right next to you. Yeah. So you're kind of like, fuck, I can't really freewheel here. And I was recording, I was using a portable recorder. So, and you're in the library bar, which as the name might suggest, isn't a very loud spot. So that's why at the start of this interview, at least, and for some parts of it, I sound really hushed, like I'm doing something like... Reverential, almost. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like I'm being kind of conspiratorial. So <laughs> that's... Well, lends something to proceedings. <laughs> that's to why honest. at the start of this interview that you're about to hear, I might sound a bit odd. Uh, but I think it's a really great interview. Uh, we spoke about her new album, Grimtown, and why it took so long to get to this point. We spoke a little bit about um, kind of just her, like her, her changes in it, like in life, and kind of like moving out of Derry, and you know, like, like how her career, to her anyway, has has kind of been a bit of a, a happy accident. We spoke about the weekend and his lyrics, which really fucking upset her for very valid reasons, which she will go into. Yeah, and just basically great to catch up with her. I think she's a, I think she's a ferocious personality. She's I think, great, yeah, yeah. She's great interview always. I um, think on this record, she's really managed to completely. Avoid the difficult second album cliche and create something that's of true value and merit and yeah I'm a huge fan of Brody I'm a huge fan of Soak and now you're going to hear me chat to her for a bit Here with Soak what's the story how are you today? I'm really good yeah but cold but I'm alright Yeah it's a really overcast day I made the mistake of staying up all night to watch Wrestlemania and now I'm trying to be professional so what's the most unprofessional thing you've done before a day of press? Typically I've been doing phoners this week because the album and stuff and I've been waking up five minutes before them which isn't the most yellow thing in the world but to me it's felt quite 
interest in the wake up from a dream and then instantly be talking to Mexicans or Australians. Uh, I've definitely like been on a full night out and then done a radio session though, and that doesn't really opt for a great like vocal. So okay, let's talk about the new album. Uh, I'm very impressed by it. I think it's really really good. Uh, what I found really interesting was I kind of had a preconception about it because I was like, oh, like there's the title. I must know now. It's going to be like relentlessly dour and slow. But it's, I mean, it's really like musically at least. It's upbeat. It's very colourful. I think it, it expands your sound in a big way. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was a conscious decision to kind of. Whenever I called it Grimton, it was almost like comically so. Um, I just wanted to like go, I don't know, guess give it an extreme name. And to juxtapose that, I just wanted to have a whole spectrum of like sonics essentially, just make it on surface about my journey and the past couple years of my life, but have the music go up and down and yeah, happy and sad, all the spectrum. I mean, the first record was so well received, it was award winning. You've taken a lot of time with this one. I mean, was that something that you were kind of like conscious of? I mean, like, I presume people were probably expecting you to kind of capitalize on that and maybe rush out a record, but this feels very lived in and it feels like, uh, like, a, like a very, very thoughtful exercise. Yeah, it was a conscious decision to take time for myself. I think I'd kind of burnt myself out with the amount of touring I did on the last record, and I definitely felt so much pressure to like follow up the last record with something better. And I knew I just don't work well under pressure. Um, and I needed to give myself some time to grow up, I think, as well. So there's a lot of different factors that made me want to take some time to make me... Because to be honest, I hadn't made music for a couple of years because I'd been on tour. And it's kind of for me, it's hard to make stuff in that environment. So whenever I stopped touring, I wanted some time to like grow up a little outside of music and do some normal things because it had been a while. Um, I didn't want to release anything I didn't think was the absolute best I could do. So it took a little while. It took a little bit longer than I thought it would. But um, I don't regret any of the time I spent away. And I'm like, it's made me that much more excited to come back to music now and like release this album. And then kind of want to release an album directly after it as well. So I'm in a good, good zone with it. It's interesting because I, mean, I think a lot of people, like the second album can be about touring and it can be like just a list of cliches and stories everyone's heard before. You've gone in a very different, dire uh, different direction on this one. I mean, like ultimately, thematically, how would you sum this up? Because it feels to me like someone just kind of going through an interesting phase of their life and trying to be as honest about it as possible. Yeah, that's exactly it. I kind of just went through a really dark, depressive stage of my life and the best way for me to process that was to talk about it in music like I always did with my first album as well. Was that that was just me talking about my life, and this is, I guess, an extension to that first record, and kind of how the story continues as my life goes on, <laughs> um, and the whole concept behind it is just this being a life trainee. I've come to, to use the term of, you know, leaving your teenage years and kind of learning how to become an adult or what's that what that's about, and learning this whole new world of expectation um, and how to manage that and. He's into it and all my friends also doing a similar thing, which felt to me like some sort of life crisis or identity crisis more so. But yeah, I guess I was just trying to understand all that and the best way for me to do that was to just make an album and say it all there. Another 
doing that though in real time as people kind of observe you like fans and friends and family as you get bigger and bigger as an, as an artist both in terms of selling out gigs and also as a writer I mean like do you have a friend group and a support network that kind of keeps you grounded and doesn't let you kind of just disappear into this different world yeah I've always had I've always been really lucky that my friend group hasn't changed since I was like probably 13 so They've all seen me pre and post my first record and through the cycles of touring and stuff like that. And they've been like very, as Irish people are, very good at like slagging you and bringing you back down to earth. There's no way I, I could ever develop any ego or big head amongst them because I would just be ripped to shreds, essentially, which is beautiful. I love that of my friends. And I think it's something beautiful about Irish charm, even um, that everyone kind of feels a sense of ownership to you in a way. Um, that's friendly whilst also uh, resettling in terms of your position in the world. Even the title, like, I mean, I think is more of like, it's less about a specific place and more about a place of mind. I mean, it feels like it's more like a colloquialism. Yeah, it's like a state of mind is what I was trying to do and trying to create, it's like a sonic dystopia of my brain and just extract it from my own head and have it to view, if that makes sense, which is a weird way to put it, but... Like, for me, I see Grimtown as, like, an actual city and, like, a groggy kind of New York City with rats everywhere is how I see it. Um, And I'm just trying to create a world and a whole environment that someone could listen to the album and feel like they were there. Yeah, I think that's been successful. I did kind of visualise a lot. It is a very visual album. I mean, also, like, I read a quote of yours. You said, like, you wanted to make and almost train your brain to be a location. And I read that quote, and I was like, that is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard (laughs) because I'm so restless, I can't switch off ever. Like, how the fuck did you do that? Uh, Partly because of that as well. My brain just doesn't stop. So it felt natural to convey that into emotion and to have the album as as a journey and which sounds shit to be like, oh, a journey, because it's not spiritual, but it's like... It begins with a train sequence to like load you literally into the location and then you leave the town on a train as well, like metaphorically. Um, and in my brain, that's what my brain feels like. It's a train that's just constantly going and, you know, I guess I suffer anxiety a lot. So things like that and overthinking and all those elements just come together in the form of a train. Purchasing flowers outside of the load Such a romantic pound for molded plastic. Yeah, I mean, you're from Derry. You've mentioned kind of struggling with mental health. And I mean, uh, Derry has an especially high suicide rate that's been recorded, it's been reported on. I'm wary of asking a very reductive question, but like, have you ever contemplated why? Have you ever come up with any kind of reason? Or like, can you think of anything that might even befit just why that is such a like horrible statistic? In Derry, I think there's multiple issues in terms of opportunity. And um, for I can only speak of my experience and all the people that I know that have moved away is because it has been down to like opportunity-less situation. And, you know, I think it's just natural with a lot of rural areas or, you know, small towns or small cities as I guess Derry essentially is um, is that opportunityless and also that's kind of like a downward spiral if you don't have a job to go to you know there's a lot of other things that may take up your time um, and I think ultimately there's not much support in mental health and that's the ultimatum is that um, the stigma essentially especially for men um, 
and you know boys don't cry and all that is still so high up there as it is I guess in the world but it's definitely quite noticeable there and more so there's not much support networks there seems to be an I've I don't live in Derry anymore but I've been coming home recently and there seems to be a lot more uh, support being known and a lot more advertisement for Samaritans and like I guess call centers like that which is great so it seems like there's a progression and I'm trying to counteract what's going on but you know you can always do a bit more if you were still in Derry and the music thing just didn't take off at this point what do you think you'd be doing I have absolutely no idea it terrifies me to think what I would have ended up doing because my career was kind of an accident in the way that you know like I was really lucky um I think I would have always tried to get out of there. I just, I've always wanted more than, I don't know, I'm never really satisfied, so I always try and travel as much as I can and, and get around. But, yeah, I don't think I'd be very happy if I was stuck there. Yeah. So, yeah, the last time I talked to you, like, it was around the first time the album was, the first album being released, and obviously that went on to be just a huge thing. Uh, you won major awards, you won the choice, you won Northern Irish Music Prize. I mean, like, how how were those nights for you? How were those accolades? Um, Unexpected. Um... Obviously, such an honour to be up for them in general. Uh, also, a lot of pressure. The nights of the events and receiving those awards was like insane because I'd never anticipated any success with the album. I was just doing it because I was doing it. Um, so any success felt like a huge deal and a step in the right direction. But yeah, it was an honour really and it felt good. Also came with a lot of pressure that <laughs> um, at the time I don't think I realised, but post kind of that whole album cycle, I definitely felt the weight of having won awards. But I think that was mostly me to stress myself out. I mean, also, like, you've obviously grown as a person at a time when Ireland and Northern Ireland are changing, like, vividly in many, many different ways. Um, I noticed a tweet of yours from a couple of months ago where you kind of isolated lyrics by The Weeknd, in which he was kind of like, like, I've been a Weeknd fan for a while, but even I'm tired of his kind of, like, you know, especially braggadocious nature when it comes to sexual politics. Um, like, I mean, effectively, like, when you heard that or saw that, like, what was your kind of gut reaction to it? I was just angry, because I'm just angry of people in general using LGBT culture to... I don't know, get an edge on their work, like make something about it kind of provocative. And it's just not, it just makes you a dick. Like there's no winning in that situation. It just makes you come off as an ignorant, ignorant person. And the actual, what he's saying in his songs and because it's the weekend, he's so su- successful. Um, he got gets away with it and not many people noticed. I mean, what he's kind of promoting there is rape culture, essentially, when it comes down to it. He's kind of saying, I will, I will, you know, like, have sex with you until you're straight, which is concerning whenever in what seems to be that situation, it's not in any way relayed back and forth between the people. It's just, I think it's horrific and actually scary, especially someone who's such a huge influence to so many people. So when I saw that, I wanted to, you know, obviously call that out as much as I could. I did receive, I was shocked at the amount of hate I received off the back of it. Not that that scares me, but more so that it was worrying that people's responses were so clueless to what I was trying to call out. Like, just like, oh, The weekend's always sang about innuendo and different sexual politics, but, like, <laughs> I was just, like, I don't know, I was going a bit crazy trying to get where these people were coming from, but I guess that's the power of such a popular artist. 
Totally, yeah. I mean, you have blind defenders, and also Twitter is a fucking garbage fire, really, for any kind of conversation. It's a dangerous zone. <laughs> it really is. Um, I think ultimately, like, you know, and it sounds like a really kind of straightforward question with like, an obvious answer, but, like, do you feel like that there is a responsibility upon an act, even if, like, whether it's someone as gigantic as The weekend, or whether it's someone just starting out, like, you know, doing open mics, I mean, like, to, like, to be seen as someone who can have an influence on people? Because I think, you know, People don't sign up to be role models, but ultimately, through one reason or another, they, they become it. So, I mean, like, in yeah. 2019 in particular, like, I mean, do you feel like there is more responsibility than ever on people to just kind of cop the fuck on? Yeah, you put it a good way. Um, I think ultimately, knowing that, I think in the year we live in and the way social media has become, like, if you fuck up, it's not, you can't hide it forever. It's just not, it's just not going to happen this age. And um, I think a lot of people have copped onto that and changed the way that they present themselves in terms of cutting down on their bullshit <laughs> because it's going to get called out a lot easier. Um, and I, like, as you're saying, you can't decide to be a role model. It kind of just comes with the territory. Um, but I think decent people just recognise that and want to, you know, if you are if you have an audience, why, why would you want to feed them shit? <laughs> like, I don't know, for me, whenever, like, I know that I have a young audience, when I do interviews and say things, I want to make sure... I'm representing myself as accurately as I can and ultimately, you know, putting a good message across and trying to not force hate or share that kind of negativity. Um, so I think it just comes down to, like, character and recognising what you have and trying to be a decent human and not a dick. <laughs> it's totally fair. I think uh, one of my favourite things about the album is just how, like it, like I mentioned before, how it expands your kind of sound and, and it moves you forward as an artist. There's an intense confidence about the record. I mean, that I, that I, I mean like, like I say... I went in with one expectation and I got something completely different on the first listen and I was like and I loved the first album but I was like oh fuck I was like I thought it could just be more of that but it's it's not that at all like it's big and bright but you're also still the key focus I mean was it kind of was it difficult to kind of find that narrative and retain that through line? Yeah at the start I didn't know what I wanted to do I'd, I'd known that after doing the first record and touring that for years and years I knew I wanted to go a different direction and I'd always, I think I came across my first record as a small person hiding behind a guitar and being quite shy for the whole duration, which I was to an extent, but I always wanted to be in a band before I was even the Soak thing. And done, having done that and, you know, experienced playing with my own band live, I wanted more and I wanted to be more and I knew that I had it in me to kind of be more of a front person and I wanted to have a connection with the crowd. And I always felt I lacked that the first time around because I was saying all these vulnerable things, but... I was still hiding and I knew on this time round I wanted to be part of the audience and have a back and forth and ultimately when it came to writing the record I struggled at the beginning because I was trying to write a record for other people or for success or I don't know what I was doing, I was just having a weird time and the breakthrough for me was that I realised I had to write music for myself again or I would never enjoy it um, and there would be no point if I wasn't being authentic and from that point on I just did exactly how I wanted to do it, and I didn't try to suppress any element and I didn't fear pop which is something I definitely did on the first record I just made what I wanted to make and I wanted to make something interesting and exciting for me primarily before, like fuck everyone else at the start you know um, and something that was unpredictable and I just I really 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 didn't want to make the same record again yeah. and to me this record kind of feels like a first record it's that different which is exciting and yeah 
I'm more confident as a person than I was more confident in what I was saying. Yeah, no, it's a great record. I love it. I guess um, a couple of questions before I go. Uh, you mentioned pop. I think we all go through that phase of thinking like pop is this like aller- you're allergic to it. <laughs> I definitely did, and now I'm totally the other way, and I'm really glad for it. Um, pop wise, even whether at the moment or whether just something kind of classic, like what is really kind of doing it for you at the moment? Right now, oh, um, I really like Troy Sivan. I just think he's great, and that's something I would have been ashamed of before, but I. Over that part of my life, really like him. I also really like. Can I say Brooklyn Social Scene? They're quite poppy, but they're not pop pop. They're not ultra pop, but they're great, and I love them. That's I listen to that a lot for this record. Uh, like Ariana Grande's last record was into that. What else? Grimes, who's like ultra pop now. That last record. Yeah, I just I like it all now. I'm just not a decade of pipe music anymore. <laughs> Um, well, there's my headline. Um, I, I, I guess lastly, um, I've I did a thing there a bit a week ago where I went to the same gig five nights in a row. Um, so yeah, it's a, a serious. I'm not I'm not, I'm not over it. I'm not recovered. But I'm kind of in this thing now where I'm like maybe that's the new music journalism, like endurance tests. So if you, stamina. Stamina, yeah, if you, uh, if someone had to like, if you had to pick one act, right, or one song that you had to listen to for a week and nothing else, what would it be? Who would it be? Can it be something I have literally done? Yeah. I've that um I love the nineteen seventy five pop again, I guess. Um that last record, pretty good. Love it if we made it off that. I did listen to that for probably three weeks straight, like just in my car screaming as I was driving. Um, so I'd probably listen to that and see it live for like a week if I could. That is the best dance. That was my favourite song of last year. Me too, actually. Cool. Have you seen the show? No, this is the thing. It's like, that would be great. Cause it's incredible. I know it is. Like, I just, Matty Healy is such a like hero for me in a way. And I just know everything he does is good and it's a bit sickening, but <laughs> it's true. I'd love to see the show. I just haven't, I just haven't yet. Okay, so Grimtown drops April 26th. Uh, you've said that you're kind of already looking towards album number three. Any rough idea on what direction that'll be, or you probably can't tell me anything? I just don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, everything I've been writing so far has been so sporadic in terms of genre. I don't know what I'm going to come up with. I've been listening to like Snail Mail and Car Seat Headrest and like Sonic Youth, so it's starting to sound a bit like indie punk at the moment, but I really don't know where it's going to end up. Awesome. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you very much. I haven't seen you for months I've been waiting up on a call For a stranger's voice To ask if I'm sitting down No one does say it But we're thinking the same thing No So that was Soak. The album is Grimtown. It is out now. I highly recommend it. What are we doing next, Craigo? 
it's Songs of the Week, Dave, where Woo. we each pick a track that has kind of intrigued us. Um, we think uh, it has merit to you know warrant a little discussion, whether it's just an artist we love, the best thing we've heard, or yeah, something for <laughs> altogether different reasons. Now, we're down a dahi, our guest, so it could potentially be a two-song thing, but no, there's another track we just couldn't avoid talking about. Will we start with that and get it out of the way? Yes. All right. Um, so Game of Thrones is back. We're all very happy with that. Unfortunately, so is the soundtrack. Um, yeah, that's Power is Power, um, <laughs> which is a quote from Cersei, I believe, from like an earlier season. Or so, um, And this is taken from uh, this compilation of um, artists who are part of the popular music of the time mm-hmm. doing their own Game of Thrones influenced, as you can tell, maybe with some of those lyrics there, Fuck, yeah. songs and so, possibly yeah. struggling with it quite a lot. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is Scissor, The Weeknd and Travis Scott. Who, despite this being about Game of Thrones, <laughs> manages to get a good old Travis Scott like yo like into it. So this oh, starts when off, he rocks up. I'm like, dude, you are adding nothing to anything you're on anymore, like, even your own albums. <laughs> it's interesting because I mean, like, Soak spoke so eloquently there yes. about her problem with the weekend, yeah. and I think she was fucking spot on. I, we've we've said it ourselves that I think we're tired now of Big Abel's propensity to be an edge lord about sex. Like it's just it's so played. Like he's done it. He's done it very well, and now he's now he's like he's at the bottom of the barrel. He's spent for the most part. I uh, I have just a bigger problem <laughs> with the lyrics of this for 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 a different reason, and the reason <laughs> the is the litany of awkward, <laughs> atrocious, on the nose references. I was born of the <laughs> ice and snow. Eh, eh, you know what I'm getting uh, at? Uh, a knife in the heart can't stop me, or whatever. <laughs> I rise from my scars. It Nothing re- hurts me now. It really feels like uh, the weekend was sent. <laughs> Seasons one to seven, yeah. and his manager was like, "They're paying us a lot of money. You have to watch the show in one sitting, and just just as and also like and write a Buzzfeed article about it, yeah. and then do a song. And also, just imagine you're Jon Snow, and he did it. So this is terrible. Yeah, he really captures the charisma of Jon Snow. Yeah, I mean, I say this right, um, even though it's pretty much a, a recycled version of the beat. Oh, all of his fucking mainstream songs but in the, the last... No, 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 but the beat, yeah, the beat and the breakdown bit, which... Pray for me, is it? Yeah, comes yeah, straight from, from the Black, Black Panther, Panther soundtrack. Yeah. However, it's a fucking cool bit of music. It's just a shame that it's the only redeeming feature of this piece yeah. of trash. It, it's, yeah, I mean, it sounds good, but it sounds like everything else he's been trying of late. Like, kind of. I, he's so tired. For? Like, Game of Thrones fans aren't going to like, like this. can't save it. No. She doesn't make her mark on it whatsoever. And I said, it's like a Travis Scott feature, really, when you're like two thirds of the way through and you're just like, please end this. <laughs> Let Jon Snow go. Um, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Dave, what have you brought to us? FKA Twigs, or I guess Twigs. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Sound a bit more enthused. <laughs> but I, no, but I, I don't know how she styles it. Um, she has returned with a new track, yes. her first one in quite some time. It's called Cellophane. I just want to 
So, is it Sella Lame? No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. I'm a huge fan. I think she's excellent. Yeah. I, I think she's very, uh, she's really kind of coming close to, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say coming close to the singularity. She's coming close to being like a singular well, if artist. If she can pull that off, she'll be the greatest <laughs> artist to ever live. Maybe Lizzo, maybe Lizzo was right. We don't need critics. Uh <laughs> I think uh, I, th- I think she's a masterful artist. I I, I think what she's doing is, is she pushes boundaries uh, and does it in a very kind of quiet way in some respects. I'm kind of surprised she's not a little bit bigger, but then I guess it is very art installationy in terms of how she goes about it. Uh, her confidence is supreme. Her vocals are exceptional. Uh, her physical movements, which she, she always seems to tie everything in visually as well. Yeah, uh, she has. Is great. She yeah, the video is excellent. She always has a like a really really strong vision, and yeah, like I I just find her very exciting. Like 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 it it, it track wise, I mean it's. It's mostly kind of vocal gymnastics, which I'm usually against. It's those kind of vaulting, very impassioned um, vocals that she can do so well over this kind of Claire de Lune, just fractured, warped piano thing, which is kind of hypnotic. It's I was surprised at how um, low-key musically it is. It doesn't quite have the, you know, glitchy futurism of some of her previous stuff, but... I still think it's daring in a different way. Um, it's very kind of fragile emotionally and open lyrically. And um, like she's been away for a while. She's had some kind of much discussed, discussed health issues and she was kind of trying to just recover from all of that. Um, and I think this is about um, one of her previous kind of high profile relationships where she was lambasted by fans of Robert Pattinson for even daring to go out with him. Yeah. Um, so it kind of deals with that in a really... I think they were engaged, but they're not anymore. No, I think they split up a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, she's been through the ringer. Um, but this is very much kind of like exploration of fragility to come out with greater strength and she pulls it off pretty well. She does. Sorry, just to backtrack on the Game of Thrones thing for a second because I just remembered uh, in terms of, you know, I, I, I was imagining the weekend sitting down and binging Game of Thrones. Uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., who I talked about oh, in yeah. No Popcorn 3, straight out of Compton, he is, I'm a huge fan. I think he's great, even though he hasn't done that much. But like, as we discussed in the episode, both myself and Dave Higgins definitely have a bit of a man crush on him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he binge watched Game of Thrones to get ready for, to get up to speed for the new season. At, at what a rate? At what clip? I think he was flying through over the, because I, I started following him on Twitter around the time of WrestleMania, because he's a big wrestling fan. I wanted to see if he was going to react to anything to it, because he okay. does. Um, and as he, he pretty much was like, I'm going to have to like pause the, the binge watch for WrestleMania, guys. Sorry. But he was just live tweeting as he was watching it with like no context apart from like, oh, fuck, I can't believe what Cersei's just done or whatever. Like, like, but it's just like he has this hilarious charm and kind of childlike charisma about the whole thing. <laughs> so that was enjoyable. Uh, and what I'm, what, what I'm saying is, even though Shay Jackson Jr. has only really dabbled in the world of music, they should have got him to do a track. Very much so. so there you go. Also, I really, really like the FKA Twig song. It's great. What did you bring in this week? I brought in this offering from Better Oblivion Community Centre, um, which is Phoebe Bridgers and Connor Oberst's collaboration. They tell you famous in some past life, but now you're just a regular Joe. Who's covered blown. Tell me, baby, what's your biggest conceit? Is it that you did it or you did it with me? I can't imagine what the problem could be If I want song that you like and you just play it on repeat Not every certain death can be so great Not every psychopath can act so well behaved 
yeah, that was Little Trouble. Um, it was released, I think, initially um, a couple of weeks ago as like a fan-only, like seven-inch, just for like their touring. Um, they're about to embark on a European leg. I think they're in Vicar Street, May 15th or thereabouts. Um, but they just released it for everyone uh, digitally online. Um, so screw you fans. <laughs> this week, um, I think it's great. Like I loved the debut album from them, um, self-titled, which came out in January. I thought lyrically it was outstanding. It was this kind of concept album about it like a dystopian wellness center and it was actually good um <laughs> but i think they're a great combina- combination i think they harmonize really well um i think it's the most i've liked connor Oberston in quite a while because um i do adore him in very small doses um and i think she brings a lot to the table in kind of um actually leading quite a lot of it um then underpinning um some of his strengths and reining in some of his kind of more uh, indulgent works and this is just kind of like drawing wise I thought it was quite strident it was cool uh, there's a lot of great lyrical lines in there and just the kind of trade off between them is good so it's a nice dose of kind of folk mixed with alt rock which is right up my street you've nailed it twofold there I think they are a great pairing yeah complement each other it? really really well but also um, this and I guess the album as well which I've kind of been sleeping on uh, you've managed to send me but kind of back down towards a Conor Oberst rabbit hole because I went through a huge Bright Eyes phase um, around the time of A Wide Awake It's Morning and Digital Ash and Digital Learn. Yeah. I remember buying Casadega Day Of and I loved it even though it's not the best Bright Eyes yeah, album. Yeah, I, I, I was of the same mindset. But it was the first Bright Eyes album I'd ever bought new and thus you kind of, you know, taught yourself to love it. It's got some great stuff on it. it does. I remember being in college when The People's Key came out and that's the last Bright Eyes album we got. And yep. here's, Same, buddy. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing, right? Uh, time for a little embarrassing Dave story, right? Uh, I I was the arts editor in in college, and I reviewed the album, right? Uh, okay. I th- did you review it for Hot Press? Someone reviewed it, like no, I think it was slightly before my time. Okay, but like it's not a great album, right? It has a couple of really good songs in it, yeah, but it's definitely not a great album. I gave it five stars <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> out of five, and here's why. I wrote my review at about six in the morning while I was stoned out of my mind <laughs> listening to this album. In college. And I know, it's shocking, right? And I was like, this is amazing. And then, like, you know, that's one review from The Vault that I, I look back on and I'm like, oh. Dave, Dave, Dave. But um, there are some there are some exceptional songs out there which Conor Oberst has put his name to. Um, I think No Lies, Just Love uh, is a masterpiece. You know, A Perfect Sonnet is great. Yeah. And stuff off the aforementioned albums are all really, really good. So it is really nice to hear him have a bit of a new lease life again because I did think he was spent. I did think he yeah. kind of said all he needed to say. And Conor Herbert, he's like he's an acquired taste for sure. Very much so. Um, Phoebe Bridgers as well. I need to check out more of her stuff. I want to. Like, I've been kind of sleeping on the Boy Genius supergroup she's in. Um, she's very kind of accomplished songwriter. She's like twenty four and she's going to have a phenomenal career because she's already such a mature artist as well. Okay, it's time for one of the big albums of the year, an album that we have been waiting for for quite some time. Uh, like I say, it's not it's not until the third of May. So not until the week after this podcast runs, but we're just so damn excited, man. It is, of course, Vampire Weekend, finally back from the wilderness with Father of the Bride. I've been cheating on, cheating on you You've been cheating on me But I've been cheating through this life And all this suffering 
deep breaths, Craig. We're going in. <laughs> so that was This Life, one of 18 tracks on this 59-minute record. Uh, Modern Vampires of the City is the record that preceded this came out yeah. in 2014 2013, 2013. Six, year, six years ago now which I think is their, ma- their masterpiece the magnum opus uh, I think or is it well we mostly know who Vampire <laughs> Weekend are but I must come to you for a primer because you have previous with this band you've spoken to Ezra Koenig before yeah tell us all a little bit about them um, so uh, very much a New York City band um, that, who arrived around 2007 um, you know with this very refreshing sound I think it might be called um, problematic at this point because it was tagged as the Upper West Side's Soito and uh, it was basically um, these Columbia University students who got together over love of uh, African high life music and kind of Paul Simon and were doing these very kind of clean guitar lines and upbeat songs that had a great kind of literary bent um, just kind of like really really great art pop um, they released a debut album of that stuff, built on it really well with Contra, which was their second record in 2010, which went to number one in the States. And for such a kind of unusual band, um, they just became this kind of four-piece that seemed like they could actually become the biggest band in the States, uh, which seemed, I don't know, strange to me. Um, and they sealed the deal, I thought, with what is, I think, still maybe their masterpiece, Modern Vampires of the City, a couple of years later. Um, now, I will say, yeah, they began as a four-piece. Um, I think it was always uh, a main creative pairing of Ezra Koenig and uh, Rostam, who has since left the band. Um, and by all accounts, in kind of getting into this record and reading a bit about it in recent weeks... The other two guys have kind of left the band as well. This is almost an Ezra Koenig um, solo project, an all but name um, on record. Now, they will be touring, uh, of course, and they're still in some of the promotional stuff. But it seems like at some point after that kind of masterpiece of an effort that was Modern Vampires, there was a bit of a kind of, not quite a falling out, but certainly Ross Tam has talked about how he felt like some of his kind of creative input was being overlooked, um, certainly in critical circles and maybe the public, um, and that he had contributed quite significantly to the music, maybe nearly all of the music to that record, uh, while Ezra concentrated on kind of melody and lyrics. And I don't know if there was a... Uh, like a, a Ezra thing of actually mate this is I'm taking the reins here because what we're getting with this um, record some six years on is uh, I don't know it, it's not quite the Vampire Weekend of old it's a lot of kind of new faces and voices cropping up like Mark Ronson had a hand in a track or two um, you've got Danielle Heim uh, from Heim um, doing I think three songs um, and kind of injecting a little bit of country into things and it reminded me more of some of like Ezra's um, like outside work and it kind of most immediately reminded me of um, this video where he describes writing uh, Hold Up um, for Beyonce um, and working with Diplo in the studio. I think this has been his process where he's just doing various projects with various kind of mates of his around New York and um, and coming up with melodies and bouncing different kind of genres and ideas off each other. And this is the kind of culmination, 18 tracks of um, kind of nuggets, some longer form songs, but it's a real kind of mishmash of genre, right? I share a great fondness for Vampire Weekend. I bought that first album uh, around the time I saw them at Oxygen in 2008. Uh, dance like, a, like an uncle at a wedding to some of the tracks, you know? 
Contra, I wasn't crazy about. I think the love affair kind of wore off and waned up for me a little bit. Modern Vampires, however, I think is an exceptional album. Truly yeah. exceptional. Just absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of, of Rostam in particular, and I wondered what his absence would do on this on this record because it's been very talked about, very delayed. You know, we thought we were going to get it last year, or maybe even before that. The album title changed a few times. No yeah, it's been an odd getting. rollout. It's been a very odd rollout. Yeah, kind of two tracks at a time. Um, it is with a heavy heart that I must declare that Father of the Bride is a fucking mess. <laughs> I think this is terrible. I knew I expected yeah to arrive. With this that is awful. This, like, like I mean, like, I, I mean, it's where is the narrative thread where is the where is anything this is just a series of sketches uh, and there's a lot of like weird shit Johnny and June American country uh, there's obviously Paul Simon callbacks here and there I, I struggled with this I struggled with this greatly I yeah, think like I think when the pairings of songs were coming out you after I think even the first batch you said you had some concerns about where they were going with this <laughs> I did say I'm concerned um, yeah. and I kind of signaled that uh, I kind of had an inkling as someone that listens to Ezra's podcast. Um, actually, it's a Apple Music radio show that you have to have subscription for, and I most definitely do. Uh, Time Crisis, where he was talking about some of the influences over the years, and he's been working on bits and bobs. Like he's really into the Grateful Dead now. He's always been a kind of like a fan of softer rock and things that mightn't be seen as totally tasteful. And this is just like very kind of deadhead acoustic guitars. Um, it's a lot of leaning even more heavily on Paul Simon. It's kind of stuff that would, you could imagine being on the soundtrack of some 90s kind of comedy, rom-com thing, like at the end and big celebratory thing. It's not cool <laughs> in any way. Oh, it's not cool. Um, and it is a mess in the sense of, for me, like a Beatles White Album or like a Beach Boys Smile Session thing where you're getting odd little fragments of stuff that have like a lot of potential and then you're veering wildly into something else and it's an odd jumble i think there is the backbone you could nearly make this album longer and be more successful in the sense of <laughs> oh my god pairing back the tracks um like some of those tracks like um big blue and um 2021 and some of the other ones we got initially uh, th- those were you raised some concerns around that and you're like what he's doing some weird George Harrison thing here and I thought okay yeah he's going to spread this out over the course of the album and it will make sense and they'll just be like palate cleansers and then you'll just get these longer kind of Hannah Hunt masterpieces this is weird because all those songs kind of end up in the second half of the record all like glommed together did you notice that there's a point around like minute 38 where you've just been through all these very un-Vampire Weekend sounding songs that don't go anywhere <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> Um, but I think there is a backbone of a, like a strong re- record somewhere in here. I think there's like a clutch of really, really good songs, and I don't think it's a great record by any stretch of imagination. But there is like outstanding stuff on it for me. I was really surprised at how poor his lyrics were, and how like just flat and boring his vocals are. Um, it just feels like bare minimum to me. It feels like stock. Feels like sketches, demos. I don't know if 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 it's meant to be if it's meant to be some kind of thing, some kind of elaborate thing, you know, some kind of statement or something. If this is really the songs he wants to write and make, 
It's like a, a, what do you mean a statement in terms of some kind of like I I don't even know like some kind of commentary or some kind of like deliberate throwback to a different time or oh yeah I think it's very much that and like you know Vampire Weekend have but these done, aren't good songs this is very poor songwriting oh well there's some great songs on here I mean Unbearably White is fantastic I thought This Life is up there with some of their great songs this Harmony life, Hall is brilliant Harmony as well. Hall is good but it's, it's it's more because we have the familiarity of it being the first song and it being a bit of a grower and there's moments in it that are really, really good This Life I think is very bad I think this life is like that is straight out of like fucking Coupe de Ville or something like yeah but like, it's uh, that's one of like the stronger lyrics um on the record I think it like Mars like it's it sounds like the Smiths ask mix with like um Van Morrison to me and I thought some of the melody lines on it were great I thought it was a really accomplished song and there's other bits like like individually a lot of this stuff very much works for me sorry hang on I, I'm gonna pull you back in just a second okay. because like you mentioned the Smiths ask and you mentioned Van Morrison like like Brown Eyed Girl, I guess, because yeah. it's that kind of guitar. And yeah, it has the kind of ask, like, you know, in like, let's jump into a kind of upbeat structure stuff. But I mean, by comparison, like, like, like he's just like a teenager with a hairbrush, like, like uh, in his bedroom, because you're referring to two great, like, but lyrically, that's a very downbeat music, song, musical works of art. But I mean, like, the song, yeah. But it's just it's not it's not like it's pastiche it's 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 a it's homage. Well, it's I th- not, yeah, okay. I think what the, with what the issue here is this is like a kind of a jigsaw puzzle of it is a jigsaw him go- kind of going window shopping, being like, here's what I'm really into or have been into like over the past four or five years, and I'm going to just do this now, and then I'm going to work with someone else and. We're both fans of this thing, so we're going to sound like like we're in a country but that band. Is you are describing a solo album? You are describing a self indulgent solo album. Well, it is a solo album, yeah. Like but, it's, by, but it's built under Vampire Weekend. Like, like is Vampire Weekend smashing pumpkins now? I think it essentially is because the two Chris's that they've been doing very little in the way of even promotion on their social media. They're rarely mentioned. Um, they will, of course, be touring, but I don't think like for example on Harmony Hall. And I was like, okay, this is a like it, this is a very good band sound. I loved the bass, and I was like, oh, great! I'll check out the kind of instrumentation this and stuff. They're down as backing vocals on the chorus only. They didn't <laughs> play the instruments on it. Like they're not on this album. That's so strange. It's so odd. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I think he's just been living his life and making this album, and he is the band now. <laughs> it appears to be that yeah. way, and. I, like is that good enough? Is he interesting enough? Because it doesn't seem like it anymore. I think he, yeah, well, he totally is for me. But I understand that so many of these songs are what made what made Modern Vampires such a masterpiece was you had everything great about what he does counterpointed by Rostam's gloomier kind of um, like soundscapes of just where he's always trying to be quite inventive and see how malleable quite traditional instrumentation is and just doing like these kind of very compressed but gigantic sounding drums that they used to have that's all gone like the kind of tour line of just since like you look at that album cover of modern vampires that kind of mood like the fog that's just like enveloping new york city that felt like rostam's fog do you know what i mean the whole sound was so well packaged together it was such this flowing just beautiful painting of an album it was a marriage it was a marriage. Then with Ezra's, like where you say his vocals sound quite flat here. I think his vocals are exactly like they always are. But when you align them with very clean acoustic kind of jaunty guitar here, you're kind of going, oh, I need something else. You're getting two kind of clever flourishes just working independently. Whereas when Rostam was there, you'd be getting his kind of echoey vocals rising above this kind of really interesting gloom. So that's not happening anymore. 
So it does come down to a tasting of like, do you dig what Ezra Koenig is into? Like his his band likes and stuff. That's not really good enough for a great band because they found a distinctive sound and now it's it's just a collection of influences from the lead singer. Right, which is dangerous territory. It totally is, yeah. Now here's the thing, right? Uh, I need to temper this by saying that I don't think everything Rostam has done since he went solo is is a home run. I think he himself is definitely guilty of like perhaps maybe like uh, doing too much and featuring too much or writing too much for the people. Although you know that's what his job is. In as much as he definitely has tropes and formulae that he sticks to. Yeah. However, I think that he is really fucking talented. Uh, that's undeniable. And I think even out on his own, even making like a fairly uneven debut solo album, I think the high points of that are so far ahead of the high points on this. And even like a recent single that he put out, like In a River, yeah, and, and the acoustic version of In a River, which is absolutely gorgeous and beautifully wistful and perfectly realized and measured and just like so, like you sink into that song. It sinks into you. It becomes part of your fucking bloodstream. That to me is... It's it's fucking Premier League and and like you know the Championship. I mean, this is. Well, you, I think no, no, the highlights of this are definitely up there with Rostam stuff. The only I thing think. on this that I really like liked was the closing track, Jerusalem, New York, Berlin. Yeah, which is a kind of classic Ezra Koenig, just yeah. measured also, study. Like, of, there was talk of Rostam being on this album. Maybe he is, and we just don't know it. Like, I think he. I think it was very overhyped. But, I think he's but, on one or two tracks, and he just does like slight choral yeah, bits in the is, background. If it's he is not, on this, I'm disappointed. Or else, if he is on this, clearly he was brought in in some kind of session capacity because it's the Ezra Koenig show, as you've pointed out, and I'm not on board. I'm not on board with his influence. I'm not on board with him just kind of having a good time. And it's so bloated. It's so me like it's meandering as fuck. It's you say it's a jigsaw well, puzzle, and it is, but it's more of a maze. It's I, more of a map. This is why I think is. it's like I wouldn't have had a problem with the length, but it is the fact that so many of these songs. I thought one of its strengths beforehand would be we were getting like little vignettes, and we'd move on constantly to other stuff. But what happens is you just get one idea per song there's no real segues where it's just like oh here's a big massive kind of break you don't get that moment in Hannah Hunt where you know the drums just uh, kick in and the piano and you're just like completely taken somewhere else and it's like a real revelatory moment there's lots of really nice moments here and self-contained beautiful 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 stuff like unbearably white as I've mentioned Um, but there's no as you say narrative through line like he's writing about some interesting stuff he's being way more direct and simplistic he actually has talked about he was saying like he went to a Casey Musgrave show a couple of years ago and like that kind of country thing of I was like wow in the first verse I, she was just so direct I was like there's no Vampire Weekend songs like that I should do that so that's him purposely doing that now um, and I think Ezra being Ezra he doesn't like he doesn't keep it that simplistic but you're missing like there's no song like a step where you're instantly getting like references to hip-hop and anger watch like ancient temples and scriptures and scrolls i think like there's some great lines here i think his struggles with um like societal structures and things that should bring you happiness like domestic bliss and those traditional things are still there and he's still got a lot to say but it's coming from this point of he is clearly, or we're guessing, in domestic bliss. He's very happy, hanging out with his mates, making the music that he loves. The Qu- tension Quincy isn't there. Quincy Jones is his father. Yeah, Rostam isn't there to bring some more. No attention. one's here to rein him in. It's yeah. loose. It's baggy. Yeah. Okay. Listen, you're a huge fan. Yeah. I'm a big fan. At what point did you realize we're in a bit of trouble here? Um, 
I was really enjoying the first few playthroughs where it was just kind of washing over me. But when I was like, okay, I'm now going to just start doing the critic thing. Around about the point we get to Married in a Gold Rush, which is a bit more country coming back in. And then we get into this sequence of very short songs that like kind of chase their tails. Like they're doing some interesting bits, but in very isolated ways and it just continues and continues until that last final stretch which like uh, Spring Snow Jerusalem New York Berlin uh, even Strangers great I was like okay it really goes off on a high point but I was like there's like a 15 minutes where I'm just like this could be immediately cut from the album to like preserve this you know I don't know yeah I mean this isn't probably fair but I again doing the critic thing and very much trying to actively listen to this record as much as possible as noted it's an hour long it's 18 tracks a lot in it a lot to unpack I would find if like writing a review of this I mean like I, I, I wonder how much fun it would be because just real quick to fucking sidestep the point I was about to make uh, writing the review of Modern Vampires was a pleasure yeah, I, like, like, I, yeah it, was, it, was, it goes back to the idea of like trying to meet something in earnest and trying to be like this is a fucking masterpiece I want what I write to be a masterpiece too yeah, uh, and, the, and yeah. it was a challenge but in a great way But the, it was I, fantastic because that like immediately and there was so much around it whereas we say this rollout was kind of like are they doing something really clever or is it just a case that it's a bit too it's hurling stuff at the wall. but like as you say with Modern Vampires you had the stuff of them like posting the notice in New York Times and there was just this kind of great aesthetic and it was clear that there was something special there and you were just like okay I need to make sense of this and yeah it was just a rich do, August do songwriting and I'm yeah. not hearing that on this but I will say that like what I was going to say was again I, mean, I don't know how fair this, this point is or how relevant it is but I just figure it worth mentioning because it happened I was having a depressive episode and I listened to this album during that and as a result the album it really annoyed me like, I yeah. couldn't, like, to me, I was, like, not in any kind of, like, you know, jealous way, but I was, like, oh, my God, I am so far it's away. It's not the mood. <laughs> it, no, it isn't. Yeah. Like, and and I don't know what that says about upbeat music or, like, very colourful music, because, of course, music can absolutely pull you out of those places. Like, I mentioned there the other day, I walked to work on Friday, I walked through Phoenix Park, and I was not feeling great, and I listened to Kids He Goes twice in a row, and I know I've banged on and on and on and on about that record, but I cannot get over a year, almost a year on from that album's release, I cannot tell you what that album does to me. It yeah. genuinely fucking grabs me, by, like, and, and it, it, it does something to me, like, it, like in a physiological sense that I, that I don't think I fully understand. With this album... Uh, the more I listened to it and the more upset I was, I was getting with my current situation, it genuinely was like, I can't do this. But you, I, you, I, I can't listen to this Do you know album. what the word is? There's a lot of like whimsy on this record. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what? There, there is very... There, there is, yeah. yeah. Copious amounts, you might say. Yeah. Um, and also... I didn't get the point of it, dude. I, I, like this, it. this is the thing. My major disappointment was actually that first run of tracks like I think the opening is really kind of intriguing in terms of oh is this going to tell some like story like there's something really interesting going on there I like the counterpoint but like I, I like the kind of way they play off each other like it reminded me of when Jack White and the White Stripes used to do some of those more whimsical things where he'd do a um, well it's true that we love one another and it would be a throwback song where he'd like sing with Holly, Holly Go Lightly and there'd be some kind of witty jokey stuff but it would work because it'd just be charming and I felt it was going somewhere once it then went into Harmony Hall and you're like oh that riff is actually fantastically done and then Bambina is just like short but snappy but great this life I was like okay there's something there's a true line here we're going somewhere then as I say when we hit that kind of like midpoint really and go into very unrelated stuff I was like oh no it's not going to resolve it drops next Friday 3rd of May 
Father of the Bride. They are playing Trinity College as part of the summer series. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I say they. <laughs> he is. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. I remain concerned. The two Chris's are will be there. I will be there because um, I'm not missing a Vampire Weekend gig. But and however, by all accounts, the gigs of late have been absolutely stunning. Like, yeah. in fantastic form. Um, yeah, I like. I where do they go from this in terms of get Rostin back? Please get Rostin back. For fuck's sake, get him back. To pay, drive a dump truck full of money <laughs> and Quincy Jones up to his house <laughs> and just get him what back. If, what if he got? What if he was like naming this to get Quincy in for the next record? Just I don't want to like, hear it. This is his love message. No, to like, this is like this, this is, is his dude. <laughs> Vampire Weekend is spiraling out of control. Okay, but do you know what? Like, it's amazing. Ezra Koenig has quotes where he talks about uh, Rostam's um, influence was actually quite limited in the band. Like, there's these, like uh, there must have been something there. Uh, maybe. Probably, uh, get, this is this is much closer to get the, the vibe. first record than any of the others. I think it's it's, it's in no, terms but, of no, that no, kind of zesty it's, 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 kind of. If you took the first record and you added on ten tracks to it and doubled, <laughs> doubled the running time and couldn't pick, you couldn't pick a song that you felt strongest about. So you wrote twelve of them. That's what this album is. I'll uh, write the same type of song eight or nine times, and I'll just fuck it. I'll just put them all in. They're all great. I'm really good. <laughs> Three out of ten, Ezra. <laughs> what? Three out of ten? Three out of ten. Oh, okay. Um, this was a seven for me. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah, it was a seven for me. No. <laughs> yeah, because because the high points are like nine, nine point five for oh, me. Oh, yeah, I don't, I, I know, I know. And sorry. you will be getting my reworked track listing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually want your reworked track listing on Yeah, this. I don't even know, like... Craig's life needs of Pablo. A, needs a lot of work. It does. Let's move on with a the show. A flawed masterpiece. <laughs> no, it's not. In any way, masterpiece. But there's some masterful stuff on it. Check it out if you're a fan of Ezra Koenig's podcast. <laughs> Check it out if you're a fan of noodling and meandering songs that don't really connect. Have you heard anything else this week? Um, yeah, Lizzo's <laughs> Oh, you listened, did you? Yeah. Um, it's grand. I won't review it. But um, what yeah, else have you, we been listening review to? Review if you want to. You can say what you want um, no, like I, I kind of agreed a bit with the pitchfork review and that I was expecting maybe a bit more. It's a bit overworked at times, but it's you know she's a she's a great talent. Um, Kevin Abstract's album dropped, uh, Arizona Baby, which is like those kind of EPs brought together. Um, given that a few spins today and it's kind of holding together really well, so I'll definitely check that out. I went back to Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Oh yeah, uh, that's my, a good record. My aforementioned housemate Richard, we were driving around on uh, the bank holiday weekend we were going through Phoenix Park in the beautiful sun it's full of cars full of people and we were blaring G-Funk out, <laughs> out the window as loud as we possibly could being very obnoxious and then Money Trees came on and I was like what a fucking song <laughs> <laughs> holy shit what a song so yeah that as well and also Hero by Chad Kroger and Josie Scott off the hold on what we also uh, drove around Castle Knock blaring that out the windows while singing quite loudly it was a hell of a 3 out of 10 it was a hell of a weekend <laughs> hey listen you're not gonna come for Hero are you yes I am that's an atrocious atrocious song that f- was like Dude. an adir in musical history that's an amazing really yeah no they say that a hero was a <laughs> Well, you just love that movie so much. Was it's it? Spider-Man 1, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah like, <laughs> Classic. Of it. I mean, the Avenger movies could learn anything from the filmmaking exploits. Which of, one was that? Was that Tobey Maguire? Tobey Maguire, yeah. yeah. Willem Dafoe. Hero's great, man. No, it was too... I'm so high. Oh. I could see you. What was the other guy's name? Josie Scott Josie from Scott. Saliva. Saliva. Saliva, Josie Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a hell of a tune. 
Better than it on Father of the Bride. Whoa, no, no, no. This episode, no, no, we're not ending the episode. <laughs> this episode Take no that encore. back. This episode, that is no not true. <laughs> this episode of No Encore, in which Dave was right, was engineered <laughs> by Sonic Architect Eve Murray. Our exit music this week comes from uh, two acts that we featured on the show before. We've had them in for interviews separately. Laboom and Amac have teamed up for a track called Dancing Bug. In the video, they dance around Stony Batter, much like the Spice Girls once did. Uh, it's, a de- it's, it's a very fun dance tune. Uh, I'm a fan of everyone involved. Boomer headlined the Olympia Theatre on 11th of October. Tickets priced 25 euro are on sale now. And presumably Aoife from AMAC will show up on the night. I'm not their booker or manager. That might not happen. I'm just guessing it might. Yeah. Here's the new track. It's really good. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. What are we doing next week? Uh, I don't know. To be determined? Yeah, okay. No, well. actually, there's something, is there? Is there? Something good, folks. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
At Total Wine and More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and More. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.